Hello, and welcome to Doc Tell Me More, my podcast where I take an in-depth look at documentaries. My name is Mike, I am your host, and this is episode 55 of Doc Tell Me More. As always, if this is the first time you've listened to me or the 55th time you've listened to me, I really, excuse me, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen um, to this podcast. If you're wondering what Doc Tell Me More is about, and I thank you for trying out for the first time if that is you, I'm a huge fan of documentaries, and so what I like to do is, after I watch a documentary, is I like to do a little bit of research on the topic just to see if what the documentary said was true, to see what they left out, and just look at the topic a little bit more in depth, because you'll find out a lot of times that there are documentaries out there that really aren't truthful. So, hence the name, Doc, Tell Me More. I do a variety of topics here on Doc, Tell Me More, but typically it boils down to some sports. And some history. Um, coming off a two-part series uh, called Swamp Kings, which was on the Netflix documentary Swamp Kings, which chronicled the Florida Gators um, of the early 2000s and their rise and fall as one of the best college football teams. Um, I've also done, before, right before that, I did a series on the Roosevelts, on Teddy Roosevelt, um, Theodore Roosevelt, and Eleanor Roosevelt. So feel free to go back and... Listen to those episodes, I'd appreciate it. Now, if you've never seen any of the documentaries that I talk about while you're listening, that's fine. You don't need to actually watch the documentaries, although I encourage it. Either way, you hopefully will learn something, which is just the point of this documentary. So today, um, our documentary, uh, I'm actually sticking with uh, the sports themes here. Uh, instead of going back to a history topic, but we are just going to do a one-off episode here, or just a one-parter. And we're going to talk about the player Johnny Bright and the documentary on him, which is called The Bright Path, The Johnny Bright Story. And I found it very intriguing because um, he was a very accomplished, very good player in his time that a lot of people don't really know about these days. And he... Um, Played a key role in a number of things in college football, but he's also most inf infamously noted for the Johnny Bright incident, which we're going to get into. Um, now, Johnny Bright was an African American football player, and African American football players um, in the early 20th century, mid 20th century, and even even to an extent to this day, had to deal with um, different types of racism. When they played and it could get not just from the negative words and slurs that were thrown at them, but also a lot of times um, it got physical and they put their lives on the line during these games. And so we're going to look at Johnny Bright, that incident that happened and kind of college football through the eyes of an African-American player in this last century. But also talk about how great of a football player he is and um, just how he should be recognized for his abilities. So this episode is going to all be about Johnny Bright. I really hope you enjoy and learn something about who he was. Now before we get into Johnny Bright, um, there's a couple other African-American football players I'd like to talk about um, just briefly and their story. And, and really the point of this is that you can see the different things that African-American football players had to deal with and go through 
just to play a game and, and for no other reason than that they were that they were black. And so there's just two players we're going to quickly talk about. Um, and the first one I want to talk about is Jack Trice. Now, who is Jack Trice? Jack Trice was a player who was born in Ohio, but he played football at Iowa State um, University. I think it was Iowa State College back then, but now Iowa State University. Um, now, he's really one of the first, again, African-American players um, to play for um, Iowa State in football. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, he's really well known for, again, w what happened to him in, in his uh, football uh, career at Iowa State. Um, now, in just the second game of his career, he played um, at Minnesota with the team. He actually was not allowed to stay in the same hotel as, um, he was allowed to stay in the same hotel as his teammates, but he was refused um, service, could not eat. And the night before he wrote, uh, this note before he went to bed. And he said, quote, My thoughts just before the first real college game of my life, the honor of my race, family, and self is at stake. Everybody is expecting me to do big things. I will. I will. My whole body and soul are be thrown recklessly about um, the field tomorrow. So you, you kind of hear that and you can tell how... Trice really understands the magnitude of this moment. And I forgot to mention that this was 1923, by the way. I'm sorry. So, so he's getting a suit up and play for Iowa State in 1923 against the University of Minnesota. And he knows it is a, is a big deal, as he says, for his race. So the next day on the second play of the game, um, Trice, uh, Trice's collarbone was broken. But he stayed in the game. <laughs> Just imagine that now, you know, people limp off the field now with like a pulled hamstring, which pulled hamstrings are terrible. Um, but he broke his collarbone and still played. Now, in the third quarter, there was an incident where he went to block and then he ended up being trampled upon by three Minnesota players where they just trampled on him and purposely. And then Trice actually was so badly injured that he actually died two days later from internal bleeding. One witness to the game said the play was murder. Okay, So Jack Trice um, actually died, so 1923, um, due to injuries sustained in that game. Iowa State would actually name their stadium after him in uh, 1997. So Jack Trice, Iowa State University, died on the field because of... Um, being trampled because he was a he was a black football player. Another player I want to talk about is Ozzie Simmons. Ozzie Simmons was a player who grew up in Texas, but he played football at Iowa, so it, Iowa State's rival. Now he um, was a really good player. He would rush for 1,500 career rushing yards, which at the time when he graduated was the third most in school history. Now in 1934, so we're talking about. 12, 11 years after Jack Trice, Iowa was playing Minnesota. It's kind of coincidental that he's playing Minnesota. Um, he ended up being knocked out three times with injuries. And Simmons claimed that they were piling on and kneeing him and that it was obvious, but the refs did nothing. So fortunately for Simmons, um, 
despite the fact he was being targeted for injuries and piled on, he didn't um, die because of his injuries. Now, a year later, in the rematch, um, but this time Iowa and Minnesota playing at Iowa, the Iowa governor actually stated, quote, if the officials stand for any rough tactics like Minnesota used last year, I'm sure the crowd won't. Uh, the Minnesota coach heard those remarks and requested extra security. And to actually defuse the situation, um, the Minnesota governor wagered and bet a live pig against the Iowa governor um, on, the, on whoever won the game. And that kind of actually diffused the situation. There wasn't any incidents in, in 1935. Minnesota actually won the game. They won the pig. And they've actually turned that into what is now called the Floyd of Rosedale Trophy, which is every year played between Iowa and Minnesota, and the winner gets that trophy. So what was the whole point of me talking about Ozzie Simmons and also Jack Trice? But my point was that you had two African-American football players, two really good players, and they were targets on the field. They were purposely hit, hit late, and the other teams tried to injure them um, because they're African-Americans. And Jack Trice lost his life because of the game. Ozzie Simmons got um, hurt, but fortunately for him, he didn't lose his life. But this was the environment that African-American players um, dealt with when they played football. And so this is the environment that Johnny Bright came in when he um, decided he wanted to be a football player. So who was Johnny Bright? Well, Johnny Bright was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana. His mom actually owned the house and land, which is actually very rare for an African-American woman. Um, Johnny Bright was a great athlete from an early age. He went to Fort Wayne Central High School. He played football, basketball, and track. He was a state champion in five track events as a track coach. I think that's amazing. Um, would love to have him on my team. Um, he took his basketball team to the semifinals twice. Uh, and in football, they won the city championship. So a really tremendous athlete. Um, you would think someone that schools would be lining up to get. But he actually had very few offers. Indiana told him they had enough black players. Notre Dame didn't allow black players, and there's no interest from Purdue. Again, the, the sign of the times here. Now, let me backtrack here. I didn't mention what year. This is kind of probably give you a lot better perspective what year this was. And Johnny Bright was born in 1930. Um, he graduated from Fort Wayne High School in 1947. So this is the 40s um, when he's looking to go to college. Um, and you would think that colleges would open their doors for an athlete like him to play on their team, but there wasn't a whole lot of interest. He initially did go to Michigan State on, on scholarship for a few weeks, but he actually left Michigan State because he didn't feel comfortable. So then he um, went looking for a, a better opportunity for him to play, a, a school that was a much better fit for him. And he ended up finding Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. And so, yeah, and so I talked about two running backs earlier that played at two schools in Iowa. Johnny Bright uh, himself ends up in the state of Iowa at a college. Uh, Drake University, which is in Des Moines, Iowa, still is in Des Moines, Iowa. And at the time was a really good academic school and still is a pretty strong academic school. Drake was actually founded in 1881. And since its opening, 
Um, it's been open to all students from all race and gender. Um, or, and so that, that was at a school that Bright felt comfortable in that he would be accepted and could excel at. And so he enrolled in Drake. He actually was not given a football scholarship. He was given a scholarship for basketball and track, which he accepted, but he pretty much said, I, I would like a tryout for the football team. And so he played basketball on track, but then he walked onto the football team as a sophomore. Back then in the 40s, um, freshmen are ineligible that they couldn't play um, varsity. So your first year of varsity football was as a sophomore. Now he ended up being a, a great player. He would end up setting 20 school records in football, track, and basketball. Uh, in fact, in the very first football game he played, he had three total touchdowns and 250 total yards. The coaching staff then designed the offense around him, and they called it BURP, B-R-P, which was Bright Runner Pass. So Johnny Bright's going to run the ball, Johnny Bright's going to pass the ball. And I think you got to give a lot of credit there to coaches because I think myself, I coach, I don't coach football, but coaching is really all about get your athletes and put them in the position to be successful. You know, if you're a sport with a ball, give them the ball and let them work you know, they, you know, and let them do their thing. I think a lot of coaches nowadays like to control too much. These, this coaching staff, nope. Johnny Brett, you're amazing. You're gonna, <laughs> we're going to design the offense around you. That year, they played South Dakota State. He was 9 for 10 passing, had, then had 246 yards rushing, which was a Drake record. So right off the bat, he was impressive. He was actually the school's black first black team captain as well. Um, in, his, in his sophomore year, so his first year playing football, he led the NCAA in total yards. He had 975 yards rushing, 975 yards passing. He's really one of the first dual threat quarterbacks. That's really common now. You know, you think about it, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, I think in college right now, like Caleb Williams at USC, like these guys are great dual threat quarterbacks. Johnny Bright was one of the first. They all, they wouldn't be where they are now with uh, what Johnny Bright, what, what he was doing. Um, Drake was 6-2-1 that year. So he led a, a pretty good um, Drake team there. And I don't remember. I meant to look up what um, their record was before he came. I am now buying some time. Boom, here we go. So they were uh, they were seven and three the year before he showed up, but one and seven. Before that, but six, two, and one in his sophomore year. So he takes that to his junior year. Um, he has an even better junior year. He ends up becoming the first player to run and pass for a thousand yards in NCAA history. He had 1,232 um, rushing yards and 1,168 passing yards. He led the NCAA in total offense. Again, so second year in a row, he had a record 2,400 yards that year. Um, one source I found said he broke the NCAA career rushing record that year. I couldn't find confirmation of that, but he was a really good rusher. Uh, and Drake was, again, 6-2-1, so, so two really strong years. 
one of the best players in the country. Again, you lead the NCAA in total offense two years in a row. Um, and then, actually, what I found interesting, after his junior year, he joined a fast-pitch softball team in the offseason. They were called Hot and Tots. And he was considered the best pitcher in the state. He actually struck out 10 people in one playoff game. Just a great athlete all around. So this all leads to his senior year. Now, in his senior year, he was the preseason favorite for the Heisman Trophy. This was big because... Had he have won, he would have been the first African-American Heisman Trophy winner. So this was a big deal. He was he was the preseason favorite. Um, and his season started off really well. Drake won their first five games. Bright up until that point had rushed for 821 yards. And he had 1,349 total yards. So he was leading the country in rushing. He was leading the country in total yards again. And that's what brings us to the Johnny Bright incident, okay? And the incident which he is really well known for, and the incident that um, changed college football. So, um, Drake was slated to play Oklahoma A&M, which is now Oklahoma State. Um, They were actually in the same conference then, called the Missouri Valley Conference. And Drake had traveled to play um, Oklahoma A&M. Now, this is the first time a prominent African-American athlete had played in Stillwater. So, again, you're in the South at this point. Um, And it was an open secret before the game that Oklahoma A&M was going to try to knock him out of the game. Both the Stillwater Oklahoma paper and the Oklahoma A&M student paper um, reported that he was a target. And we already already talked about with Jack Trice and Ozzie Simmons that that was Pretty common for African-American players at that time. Later on, um, it, was, or it yeah, not later on, but during practice that week, Oklahoma A&M coaches were yelling during practice to get that um, N-word when they ran, when the scout team ran Drake plays. Before the game, one Oklahoma A&M player said that they were going to get that N-word. And so it, it was a thing. Like the whole week, their goal was to get Johnny Bright and get him out of the game. Now, it's such a big game that the Des Moines Register actually sent two photographers to go and cover the game. And it was a good thing they did. Because the very first play of the game, the Johnny Bright incident happens. Um, and you can actually watch this play on YouTube. I really encourage you to maybe just pause this right now and go to YouTube and look the play up, you can just type Johnny Bright Incident and it'll come up. But when, he, when the play happens, Johnny Bright hands the ball off to a fullback for the first play of the game. And Johnny Bright essentially kind of turns around and just kind of stands there and is just watching his running back, just like any other quarterback who hands the ball off and watches. And then the Oklahoma A&M player, Will Banks Smith, um... Way after the play, way after the the ball is, uh, the ball carrier is long gone, he really, he runs up and really jumps up and hits hits Bright in the face with a jumping elbow, I call it, to the jaw and knocks him out. You can see it in the video, it just drops Johnny Bright. There's no penalty for this. No penalty. 
And it was later found out that his jaw was shattered on that play. So you had a guy run, jump, throw an elbow to the face of a quarterback way late. And there's no penalty. Just kind of blows your mind. Nowadays, I mean, you're talking about ejection, suspension. Didn't happen. Again, watch the play right now before you continue to listen to this episode. So Johnny Bright, his jaw was shattered. What this day and age, obviously they're gonna they're gonna pull you, but he he stayed in the game. He stays in the game to show what type of player Johnny Bright was. Johnny Bright throws a 61-yard touchdown pass. Then he's hit again, though. He's hit late again in that play. And then the next series, after a tackle, after Bright's tackled, he is punched on the ground after a tackle. Still no penalty. So for three times in seven minutes, he was knocked out. Okay, which at least we, we now we know he got to take a player out of the game, but get knocked out. They didn't do that back then. But three times in seven minutes, Johnny Bright was hit late and knocked out, which caused him to leave the game. It was actually the first time in his career he'd finished with less than 100 yards. Um, now... What was really fortunate, as I said, there's two Des Moines Register photographers named John Robinson and Don Yultang who photographed the whole incident. Again, you can Google that as well and see the photographs of it. Without them, no one would have known about it because, again, there was no penalty. The pictures brought publicity to the event, the incident, which and the pictures actually won the Pulitzer Prize. And it, it really brought to this, again, to the, the attention of the country of how African-Americans were treated in certain places, that they were hit late and allowed to get hit late. And because it was Johnny Bright, who, again, is the preseason favorite for the Heisman Trophy, who gets knocked out of the game because of this cheap shot, uh, it, it really causes, as it should, an uproar. Now, Will Banks Smith, the guy who laid the hit, said up until the day he died that he he never understood why people thought it was racist. He said that it wasn't racist. He said that he did the exact same thing to Drake's kicker, the play before, and Drake's kicker was white. He said he did it to the kicker as revenge for the year before when that kicker injured an AM player in what he called a dirty play. He also said that what he did to Johnny Bright was legal back then, that you could elbow people in the head. He said there was no need to apologize because it wasn't racial. No, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to... I'm just going to have to completely disagree with Smith. Um... This was in this was 1951 um, at the time now in Johnny Bright's senior year. Um, elbows to the head had been banned for 20 years. I looked it up, and I don't care what he says about elbowing the Drake kicker, which he says he did. Although I couldn't find anybody else that said he did that confirmed that. But in my opinion, I call BS. There is no way that wasn't racial. I've already shown. You at least two other incidents of prominent African-American athletes getting hit late. So there's no doubt in my mind that it was racial. 
And I think it's it was still ridiculous that late in his life in this interview, which was actually done in 2006, that he couldn't admit that. Now, Smith went on in this interview and said that Bright was a prima donna. And that when they played the year before, Smith attacked him out of bounds. And Bright just laid there and waited for the stretcher instead of being helped up by Smith. And then Johnny Bright came back in. Smith said that um, he felt Bright was a prima donna and didn't support his team with those actions. And that made him mad. And the A&M coaching staff had apparently built up into Smith, into the team, into the game, that Bright was a prima donna. Um, to me, I just think that's a great example of coded words. Um, just calling a, a black athlete a prima donna, or, or flashy is what we say now sometimes. Um, I think that's just kind of some coded racism in there. Personally, that's my personal opinion. Smith also said he didn't initially plan on hitting Bright. But he said that Bright was just standing there with his hands on his hips after he handed the ball off and watching the running back. And he thought that was poor sportsmanship of somebody to just watch the running back run. And that's when he sped up and hit Bright. I'm going to, again, I'm going to call BS on that. And you can YouTube the video on your own and watch this. To me, when I watch the film, that's not what it looks like. To me, it looks like someone that goes after the best, the um, Bright late. And it's also, to my opinion, just a really stupid thought process that makes zero sense to me. Uh, Smith said he received lots of letters in the mail, some calling him a racist, and other publicly praising him for hitting Bright. For what it's worth, the A&M coach J.B. Whitworth publicly said the hit was illegal, but he didn't suspend Smith. Um, Bright himself said even three years before his death, there's no way... It couldn't have been racially motivated. And there's no doubt in my mind that it was racially motivated. It was racially motivated. You didn't see people throwing elbows, I mean, to other players on that team, regardless of what Smith said. There's no other actual report from someone there of other players getting elbowed. Nope, it was just Johnny Bright, who's the African-American player star on the field. Now, later, um, what I thought was interesting, um, at the train station, as he was recuperating and they were getting ready to head back, there was a station official who told him that blacks were not allowed in the train station. And Johnny Bright told him, if you're a man enough to move me, go ahead. (laughs) And then the guy walked away. So Drake ended up losing that game to Oklahoma A&M because Johnny Bright had to leave 27-14. Bright would miss two more games because of his broken jaw. They lost to Iowa State, 13-0, and they beat the Great Lakes Navy. Then they played one more game where he came back, um, and they won, and he had three touchdowns in that game. He wore a face mask, because people didn't wear face masks back then, and those would become mandatory, which is actually one of the things that, um, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more a little bit later, was one of the positive things that came from this incident was that Face masks now became mandatory. Drake ended up finishing 7-2. and two, And a healthy, bright, probably they go undefeated. Probably 9-0. Drake accused A&M of, of dirty play and being out to get bright. Um, Drake lobbied for punishment from the Missouri Valley Conference for Oklahoma A&M. And the conference refused to punish Oklahoma A&M. And in protest, Drake left the conference. And Bradley left with them in solidarity. Um, 
Both schools would later rejoin down the road while Oklahoma A&M would go to the Big 8 as Oklahoma State. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, I the NCAA, because of this incident, ended up changing the rules on illegal blocking. The next year, uh, flagrant rough play and striking with a forearm, elbow, or locked hands were a 15-yard penalty and a mandatory suspension. So this play is a big reason for those new penalties. And as I said, uh, um, face masks and other safety equipment um, came into play after this incident to help help the players. Again, that did nothing, though. Um, Oklahoma A&M themselves never, um, the president at the time denied anything that happened even after evidence was published. They just denied it. And it wasn't until 2005 when Oklahoma State um, issued an apology. Um, Drake and Oklahoma State were had a chance of playing each other in a basketball tournament, one of those early season basketball tournaments. And there was an alum of Drake that realized there was a chance that they could play, and there never been an apology. He contacted Drake's president and asked him if he would call o- Oklahoma State and ask for an apology. And the Drake president did that. And actually, Oklahoma State agreed and went out and issued a, uh, a formal apology. So it took 50-some years, but there has been an official apology. So just kind of bring in the wrap-up here on Johnny Bright's career in this incident. Again, this is just an example of the types of things African-American athletes um, particularly football players had to go through. This was an event that brought the civil attention to the civil rights movement for equality. Maybe that's the one bright side of this incident. It was really not good for Johnny Bright, but it brought more attention to civil rights and equality, more player safety, more of the things that went on with African-American athletes in football. And um, because of that, hopefully change things for the better. Um, and that and the hope was to try to limit incidents like that. <clears throat> now, Johnny Bright ended up finishing fifth in the Heisman Trophy. He probably wins it if he doesn't miss time. Um, he was a first-team All-American. Now, had he won the Heisman Trophy, he would have been the first African-American Heisman Trophy winner. That ended up being Ernie Davis in 1961. So Johnny Bright would have won the Heisman Trophy 10 years earlier had he been healthy. He finished with 5,983 yards in his career and 384 points in 25 games. One source I found said this was the all-time total offense record when he graduated into history. I could not corroborate that. He ended up earning 70% of his yards and points, of Drake's points and yards his senior year. Um, Again, just one of the all-time great players there in college football history. And he graduated in 1952 with a Bachelor in Sciences. Now, he was drafted number five overall by the Philadelphia Eagles in the 1952 NFL Draft. And this was huge because he would have been the Eagles' first black player. But he spurned the NFL because he didn't want to deal with the same racism that he had dealt with at Drake. Um, He had said that there was an influx of Southern players in the NFL at the time. And he was really concerned how he'd be treated. We decided to go to the Canadian Football League instead. So he was drafted by the Calgary Stampeders, and they actually offered him more money 
in the NFL did. He ended up playing 13 seasons in the CFL, two with Calgary, 11 with the Edmonton Eskimos, and he ended up having one of the great CFL careers ever. He won three Grey Cups, including the most rushing yards at the time in a CFL game with 169. He became the first black player to win the Most Outstanding Player Award, or the MVP of the CFL. Um, he, he, when he retired, he was the CFL's all-time leading rusher. He's now third. He had the most 100-yard rushing games. He led the CFL in rushing four times. And he's widely considered one of the greatest CFL players of all time. He finished with almost 11,000 rushing yards. Um, he had five 1,000-yard seasons, 70 touchdowns. His two best rushing seasons were over 1,600 yards and 1,700 yards. And he he still has the highest rushing average of all pro football 10,000-yard rushers. So he averaged 5.5 yards per carry in his career. Jim Brown, the great Cleveland Browns running back, is number two at 5.2 yards per carry. He also played in 197 consecutive CFL games. So just one of the great players of all time. You kind of wonder, hey, had he gone to the NFL and and done this, which I have no doubt he would have. You know, maybe you talk about a guy that makes it into the NFL Hall of Fame. Um, or is at least more prominently known. But he didn't let the um, the incident, the Johnny Bright incident, define him. Um he, he defined his life. Um, he was elected into the College Football Hall of Fame, the CFL Hall of Fame, the Iowa the Des Moines Register Sports Hall of Fame, the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame, the Edmonton Eskimos Wall of Honor, Missouri Valley Conference Hall of Fame, and even the Iowa Softball Hall of Fame. As I said, he, he was voted the 19th greatest CFL player of all time. Now, he got a master's in education. And he became a teacher and a principal in Edmonton. He ended up becoming a Canadian citizen as well. He started his teaching career while he was playing in the CFL. He ended up coaching Edmonton High School to a state championship. And the, he also coached the junior Canadian um, junior football league team. So he ended up having a, a great career um, after that incident. Now, in 1983, he went in to have knee surgery to fix an old football injury. He ended up actually having a heart attack during the surgery and died. Left behind a wife and four kids. Um, Johnny Bright, uh, yeah. Just, you know, one of the great, I mean, great players that people don't even talk about. And again, I mean. And it's just kind of incredible with what he did. Again, the first 1,000-yard passer, first 1,000-yard rusher. Um, just kind of imagine him now. Um, if he came around now, he'd probably be a quarterback at a big-time school, making a lot of NIL money, and then go to the NFL and make millions. Again, probably like a Patrick Mahomes. However, because of when he was born, he is more recognized for the incident as opposed to his talent. And... I think really that's the true tragedy of the story. While things are getting better now, there's people like Johnny Bright who um, had to take the abuse and had to go through discrimination to set things up better for the next generation. Um, 
And yeah, I think my, my hope is is that people can appreciate Johnny Bright more and the player he was. So that's actually gonna gonna be it. Um, that's a little bit shorter episode for me, but that is Johnny Bright, and I really encourage you to watch uh, the Bright Path by the Johnny Bright story. Um, really interesting, and, and I encourage you to look up a little bit more about Johnny Bright. Look up his stats. Look up his career. If you haven't watched that Johnny Bright incident yet, I encourage you to watch that. And um, yeah, just a really, really interesting story. Johnny Bright of Drake University. Um, so this has been about four weeks since my last episode. Again, my goal is three to four weeks in between. Um, kind of right in the middle of teaching. Um, I, I do coach in the fall. My, my season is over, so I'll have a little bit more time. Hopefully I can um, pump out an episode a little bit quicker. I, I don't know what my next topic is going to be. Um, like I said, I didn't know I was going to do the Johnny Bright documentary either until I came across it, but, uh, but we'll see. It'll just be a surprise for the next time when you turn on doc, tell me more. But again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I always appreciate it. And until next time, talk to you later.